Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we rewind back to December the 18th, 2013, as we continue going one year forward in time each day during this series of rewinds. And uh, today's episode was originally 1269, and it was called You Are Your Only Solution. This is one of those episodes, again, it is like I try to pick stuff for rewinds that are kind of timeless, and also that put me out there a little bit, saying, like, here's what's coming, here's what's going to happen, so that you can, well, is he, does he know what he's talking about or not? Is he, what's his batting average? You know, if you bat 750, you're better than any other batter in the game if we're talking baseball. I think we can do better than that in the world of projecting where we're going. Because much like yesterday, this episode had a lot to do with looking where we had been and then using that to determine where we're going. You know, I've, I said many, many, many years ago, long before this original episode in 2013, we don't study history, right, to learn from the mistakes of the past so that we do not repeat them. That It's a lie that we tell kids to get them to read their book because it sounds good. No, we study history because some dumbass is going to repeat the mistakes of the history, and they are going to do it, and they're going to use the latest technology when they do it, so it's actually going to be worse. That's why we study history, because it's going to happen again. But the reason it's going to happen again, one way or another, and, and like what do the historians say, it doesn't always repeat, but it often rhymes, is because of pattern. And if we look at pattern of past, we see the pattern laid out for going to the future, because it's amazing. If you ever start to really study history, and this was a period of time when I did this episode, we were doing the history segments, kind of missed those at times, where we do the year that was the episode. And But the more you dig into the history of the past, the more you see everything's the same. It's the same but different, man, in the words of Tommy Chong, right? It really is. Like You go back and you study Roman history or Grecian history, right? And then you realize a lot of these things that we think of as new ideas are not new ideas. Do you know, I was just watching a thing with my wife about the Bible, uh, Acts to Revelation. It, it's, it's kind of a blend of the Bible itself and then historical archaeology. It's really, really interesting, even if you're not a, a, a person of the book, right? Like, it's the archaeology, and it's really, really interesting, and the stories and the things that are there that actually match the time and history and what's going on. really, really interesting. One of the things that caught my attention, though, was there was this guy at one place that, I guess, Paul went to preach, and then... Uh, it caused a bunch of stink and shit because, you know, they're spreading this new religion and it was a problem at the time, of course. And they wanted to arrest Paul, but they couldn't find Paul. So one of the guys he had kind of converted, they grabbed his ass and they threw him in prison with a bunch of other people for a while. They made a case to the people that ran the city that these, these people were breaking Roman law, uh, pledging allegiance to a different king, stuff like that. But eventually they decided, well, we, we really can't hold these people for this. Like, this is your pro kind of the whole story again, right? This is y'all's problem, not our problem. Uh, but maybe there's something here. So they, they required, I think the guy's name was Jason, whoever his name was, they made him post bond before being released 2,000 years ago. He got arrested. We wanted to make sure you show up in case we have any problems. Maybe there's going to be a trial. Maybe there isn't. We haven't decided yet. We don't want to keep you here, though. So if you post something of value, you can come back late. That's over 2,000. And if you, keep, if you keep researching, you'll find out that goes way, way back. There's so many things that we think of that are of today 
that are of the past. So it becomes very easy to start seeing that where we're headed. And there's another interesting thing in this one I think you'll, you'll find very interesting, especially if you're kind of new to the show. And you're like, why is this dude an anarchist? Well, I often say that people that actually journey the path of truly discovering what liberty is will end up anarchists one way or another sooner or later. And the only thing that really messes that up is anarchists who talk shit to people and talk down to people who haven't quite gotten there yet. This is 2013. I hadn't quite gotten there yet. I was at this point what I would call a minarchist libertarian. And I say as you take that journey, you're going to go through the five stages of grief. And and when you, as you begin to do that, right... You, you go from denial, oh, this can't be true, to, ang- to, to anger, right? Denial, anger. And then eventually we enter a stage called bargaining. And, and, and different people actually take those five stages of grief and they put bargaining at the third or fourth. They flip them back and forth. And I think there's a reason there's a disagreement. I mean, there's the original thesis on it, and that's set in stone. But I think there's a reason that like psychologists actually disagree about it and will change it in their own materials. And it's because we we get to this point and it's anger and then, you know, depression and bargaining, right? Kind of in that progression or you know, anger and then bargaining and then depression. And I think the reason is because the bargaining stage often you get to depression and you go back to bargaining or you're in bargaining and you go back to anger and you go and so you kind of get caught in this trap along those five stages bargaining kind of overlaps both of those and eventually you get to acceptance and one of the main reasons that that people don't become anarchist uh, voluntarist call it what you will pure libertarian if that works better for you okay is because they keep getting pushed into the anger stage by their fellow liberty-minded people who have made the full journey all the way to anarchism, who keep talking shit to them and saying stuff like, so you just want to leave a little bit of the cancer in. It's not that the statement's wrong. It's that you're being a dick when you say it, and you actually make the person's journey take longer. In this episode, you will hear me stuck a little bit in the bargaining stage. Making the complete case for anarchism and then going, yeah, but I'm still a minarchist. You would say things like, I'm completely okay with the state. If, if somebody steals from you, the state throwing you in a cage for it because, you know, you stole. There's actually a victim. Part of me still feels that way, but not at a philosophical level. I, I look at it this way. This is what we have. I don't want it, but we have it. So when, for instance, one of my relatives worked for a while, uh, he's a, a sheriff's deputy, but he worked with FBI Joint Task Force, and they were, they were working human trafficking, and specifically focused on the human, human trafficking of children. Okay, so what I think you deserve, if you are a pedophile, or you are, I don't care if you're not actually a pedophile, if you are willingly and choosing to actively obtain children and give them to pedophiles, both you and the pedophile, should be hung by your fingers... I know you think toes, but wait, I'm going somewhere with this. It'll hurt more the way I'm going to do it. And you should, so you should be strung up by your thumbs and slowly lowered into, very slowly lowered into the largest wood chipper we have. So you can make that wonderful sound and spew out on the other side. That's what should happen to you. But we don't have that option. So if you end up in federal prison or state prison for doing so, I don't care 
for you. I don't care for the system that does it because of its propensity for error. I know there's a lot, and, and because of its propensity to put people into a cage that don't belong there, but I accept the reality. If, if you end up there, and that's you, I have no sympathy for you, because in my world, your life would have been ended in a very horrible way. Yeah? See how that works? So I am now moved to this pure philosophical anarchist level. And I think what you'll hear in this is not really so much bargaining. What you'll hear is trying to rationalize what I just said, With the reality, like, uh, like, yeah, this is no matter what, they'll never fix this. We can't rely on, the, on, on them to fix this. And everything they do, they do poorly and wastefully. And you'll never fix it by voting. And you'll never fix it by change. But yet you'll hear me quote the Constitution and what it means. I still believe that. I still believe it means what it means. Even though I, I what I'm here to say is it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't stop any of this. But in this episode, I'll also tell you why, you know what, you probably don't want government to fix it. Because what that means to them is way different than it means to you. This episode is another one of those that's really powerful. And I want you to think about some things as we go in through. This is where I introduced the destitute, drunken, dope-addicted Uncle Sam that lives on your couch. That keeps asking for money. And thinking you can fix that problem by giving him more money. Or any money at all, Right? But you'll also hear me talk about how people are so easily manipulated and pissed off by rounding errors. And I'm going to talk about something that went on right around this time. We found out that congressmen were able to spend $100,000 each for oil portraits of them for like the National Archives or to be hung on the wall of the Capitol or whatever. And how outraged people were and how it was like so ridiculous. So ridiculous. You'll hear me say in this, at the same time I'm talking about that in this episode, that the, the U.S. owed more money at that time than it ever existed in the world. O owed more money at that time than it ever existed in the world. Here, I say also, there's no fixing this, there's no paying it back, there's no reducing it, it's not going to happen. And I just want to point something out before we go ahead and drop back into that episode. At the time of this episode... The United States national debt stood somewhere between $17 and $18 trillion. And we were still talking about how we could reduce that debt and we could fix the deficit and blah, 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 blah. Here we sit nine years later. National debt today, right now, $31 trillion. How's that working out for you? Did any of these things I said wouldn't work? Turn around and all of a sudden start working? So you can go, see, Spirico, there's a solution inside the system. There is no solution inside the system. There never was. There never will be. Because one of the things I revealed in this episode, again, nine years old. The reason the system can't provide a solution is the system requires a problem to exist. Imagine if we lived in a world with no real major problems. We had functioning roads that worked where they were that were self-funding by the people that actually used them. Children had methods of education that exceeded the quality that we have today, and that was part of society. It just was built into it. Crime was low because committing crime meant you probably got shot, bit by a dog, or both, or put in a wood chipper if the crime was bad enough. Overall, society basically functioned well. And you're the government, and you want to come out, and you want to talk about how we need more government. What are you going to say? But if you have problems an open, porous border, then you can say, we need a wall, okay? But we're letting them in, 
Most of them are coming in through one of the gates in the existing pieces of wall. Right? Or you could say, we need to worry about the core root of the problem, which, by the way, we caused, okay, in most of Central America anyway, and Central and South America. We have a long history of screwing shit up there. Right? You, you need that problem. No matter, it doesn't matter which side you're on of it. If you're like, but Jack, we should seal the board. Yeah, but we're not gonna because that would fix the problem. And if you, well, Trump fix it. No, he didn't. Is it worse now? Sure. We didn't fix the problem. And we were never gonna fix the problem. Have you noticed we have these giant coastlines? There's other ways to get in this country. And in fact, prior to this porous border problem, you know how most of the people got here? With a passport on an airplane and they just overstayed. And we didn't fix that problem either. We have poor people. Even the Bible said the poor will always be with you. Yeah? But we have, the, no matter what it is, if you actually fix the problem, the need for government goes away. Well, wait a minute, Jack. I found a hole in your theory. Why don't we fix the problem, but the government program that fixes the problem is actually functioning well, and if we took it away, the problem would come back. Aha! See, then we could say, this is good government. Okay, the problem is government functions, the state functions like a life form. What happens to a life form when it stops growing? It starts dying. When it stops growing, it starts dying. That's how it works. And death can be a long cycle or a short cycle, depend on the expected life expectancy of the organism. But the state is designed to do what? Live infinitely. That's how it, it's called continuity of government. Other people refer to it as dun, 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 the deep state. Yes, they're the same thing. One begats the other anyway. So if the purpose of the state is to live on forever, and that's its function and it's designed into it because the designer of the state made it that way, the psychopaths that created the state in the first place created the system for it to be designed to live forever. That doesn't mean it always works because there are so many empires have come and gone. So there is a flaw in the system. There is a failure point in the system. It tries to do too much. It gets too big. It falls under its own weight. But if the goal and the design is predicated upon infinite survivability, to keep going on forever, a shining city on the hill, then what can it not possibly allow? The halting of growth of the said same. It can't. It's a good time to think about this and why. Why get so deeply political or not political? The reason to think about this right now is we're ending a year. Another year's over and a new one's begun. And what have you done? So this is Christmas. Yes, I changed the organization of the words. But it's a relevant question, isn't it? And what will you do with the new year that is being gifted to you for the opportunity to make fundamental changes in structure and function in your own life. You can continue to focus on the TV and the talking heads, or you can actually turn to focusing on the things that you can affect. Your food, your health, your education, your own waste stream, your own energy. And doing things and never apologizing for doing good things. That, you know... It's not what everybody wants to hear, but is the only message that really does invoke true change. Because the whole idea, and what we're hearing about back at this period of time, hope and change. Hope is within, and change is that which you control. 
You can hope in you can hope for change in something you do not control. Or you can hope for the power to change the things that you actually have control over. The choice is yours. Let's go ahead now, rewind back, December 18th, 2013. The, the first thing I want to start out with today is the biggest problem I see in prepping is that most preppers are preparing for a disaster. Preparing for one day when a disaster strikes. I don't think that's in of a problem of itself, but it's the complete and total ignoring of the disaster that you're sitting in right now. Many of the things that we're dealing with today were foretold 10 years, 20 years ago, that this would be the way things are. And this is what I'm talking about when I say things like this, this very long event horizon of a decline of society. Because you're still in your house, because many of us still have swimming pools, because the roads are still largely open, because the cities are not completely burning to the ground, because it doesn't look like Mad Max, we all think, well, one day it's coming. It's here. You're standing in it. The disaster is upon you. Yes, it is. You live in a society now where your constitution has been literally flushed down the toilet. They might as well take it right out of the glass case that everybody goes and sits in front of and might as well genuflect the way they act towards it and flush it down the toilet because it doesn't mean shit anymore. It doesn't mean a damn thing anymore. The government does whatever it wants to do completely regardless of what the Constitution actually says. They'll pay lip service to it, but they just pay lip service as they wiggle around each and every word. And we're told, well, it doesn't really mean that. Oh, it's a living document subject to the interpretation of the people reading it at the time they're reading it. I, I really don't think they put that in there. I, I really don't think that the founders who signed the Constitution put into the document... Note, this Constitution means whatever it means to you at the time that you're reading it based on your current culture and beliefs. No, it doesn't say that at all. It says this is the way things are and shall be unless you amend it. And here's how you do that. And if you don't do that, it doesn't change. See, the whole living document is, is, is again, by our society, how the truth is used to sell a lie. The, the Constitution is a living document. And it does evolve. Through the amendment process, not subject to the will of the people at 51% majority, not subject to a Gallup poll, not subject to the whims of whatever Supreme Court justice gets appointed by the president. As the document is written, it is amended through the amendment process. And then there's these two little things, the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment, that tell us exactly what they meant just in case we didn't figure it out from the Constitution and the first eight amendments. The ninth, which is almost never cited, even by the liberty movement, is the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, uh, just because we didn't say you had the right doesn't mean that you don't have the right. In other words, when they put together the Bill of Rights, there were people that didn't want to do it. There were people that said, hey, we're, we've got this thing kind of sorted with the Constitution. There's, there's nothing in there that implies that the government can take away a right unless we give them the power to take away the right. If we do this, one day someone will say, well, it doesn't say you can't do that, so you can. Right? So they put the Ninth Amendment in there just to say, hey, 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 government, guess what? Just, just, just before you even try this, 
Just because we haven't specifically granted a right in the Constitution doesn't mean that right doesn't exist. We've specifically restricted you to everything we can think of up till now that we can get consensus on. But if we didn't say anything about it left, right, or, or, or up or down, guess what? You don't get to do that. That's what the Ninth Amendment is. Very, very simple. And then the Tenth Amendment. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, no per, nor prohibited to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. This sounds complicated, but it's very, 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 very simple. The powers not delegated to the United States, which is the federal government, that is the United States, by the Constitution. If the Constitution doesn't say you can do it, okay, nor prohibited by it to the states. And what that means is, if the Constitution says government can't do something, the states can't do it. All right, um, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And that means that if we don't say that the federal government can do something in the Constitution, the states and the people have the power over those decisions, unless the Constitution specifically says they can't do it either. In other words, the federal government is not given the power in the Constitution to take away guns, because it's protected under the Second Amendment. But I can't stand up and say, well, that power is reserved to me as the people, so I'm going to go take your gun away. I'm going to pass my own law against guns. And, or I'm going to do it as a community or as a state and say you can't have a gun. Because it's prohibited. It's prohibited. So the Constitution is a document mostly of negatives. The government shall not, cannot, will not, and only will do basically these things. And here's what they have to do to be able to do them. It's ignored. You talk about a disaster. When the foundational document of a nation is ignored. When the document that your elected officials swear to uphold is ignored, you're living in a disaster. The economic outlook of this nation is a complete freaking disaster. They'll, they'll do class warfare and tell you about the income gap and the poverty versus the middle class. and the, It's all bullshit. Unless you are the truly affluent, the economic outlook of this nation is a freaking disaster long term. The economic outlook for the nation from a national security standpoint is a disaster. We owe more money than has ever existed in the history of the world. Not we have more money, we owe more money than has ever existed. If you put all the money that's ever existed in a pile, we could not pay off our debt with it. The money to pay off our debt doesn't even exist. It's a mind-boggling, impossible-to-repay number. We are not manufacturing dick all. We have removed the value of work and the virtue of hard work from our citizens' vocabulary. We do not know as a people in general the value of hard work anymore. We have convinced people that hard work is studying in a book and learning to answer a freaking answer correctly on a test. That is not hard work. I'm talking about wet work where you sweat. Both mentally and physically. We have made our children believe that doing a job with a shovel is beneath them and for a lesser human being. That is the death nail of a nation. When the guy that runs a piece of heavy equipment or picks your food, or runs a tractor, is considered beneath, beneath the average citizen, the nation has gone off the cliff. No more of this bullshit about, well, the Republicans are going 45 degrees of the cliff at 60 miles an hour, and the Democrats are going nine. We're over the cliff. It's done. We have gone over the cliff. 
It's just getting steeper as you tumble down it like freaking Homer Simpson going do, 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 do. Do you not get that? The, the day that this nation that was really respected by the rest of the world have come and gone. We are a laughing stock to the world. Not because of how pathetic we've become, but because of how much we've squandered. And you know what? We did it. So if we're going to fix it, we're going to fix it. They're not going to fix it. You know, the, the, the irony is how easy it is to manipulate the American people. On either side of the debate. You know the easiest way to piss the American people off and convince them it's the Democrats or it's the Republicans or it's those select people in government? Rounding errors. Rounding errors are the tool of choice for the manipulation of the masses into froth anger about shit that doesn't mean anything. Recently, I had a bunch of you guys send me an article about how there's this legislation in place now to restrict how much money that we're spending to have picture oil-painted pictures of our congressmen and senators and cabinet members and president done. That they're spending over $100,000 a portrait, and this new legislation would restrict it back down to like 20 grand or something like that, and how outraged everybody should be that Nancy Pelosi or uh, John Boehner or Harry Reid or, whom, or whoever is having their portrait done for this ridiculous, absorbent amount of money. Yeah, it is a ridiculous, absorbent amount of money. Yeah, if a congressman wants an oil portrait of themselves, let them pay for it out of their own pocket or they don't get one. I agree, but do you know what? The, the, the piddly amount of money in comparison to a deficit of $1.7 trillion, this is like, this is like a dumb parent who catches their kid committing some kind of a crime. And the kid points to another kid who tied a knot in a girl's hair. And the parent runs over and worries about the other sibling that tied a knot in Susie's hair. While Johnny snitched, but Johnny was out freaking cooking meth in the basement. When you worry about that, you're taking your eye off of what... And you're not going to fix the other thing anyway. But God, don't be, don't be so easily led. It's like the American people have become like the bull with the ring in his nose. And whenever you get too close to figuring out what's going on, they just grab that ring and drag you over and pull it till your nose hurts. And then you get pissed off like a bull. You start stomping your feet and attacking a TV screen of people that don't give a shit how much you're mad as long as you watch the screen. Let me tell you why the government not only won't and can't, but and will never fix our problems. I'll tell you, they can't. They're not capable of fixing the problem. Because the entire apparatus of government revolves around the need for government to exist, which revolves around the need for problems to exist. You're asking a government whose very existence is dependent upon your need for them, to fix things so that you no longer need them. A government solution must, by its very definition, be temporary and require a greater solution in the future to further propagate government. Every person in government is afraid of losing their job. Every single person in government fears losing their job. Because they've got it better than anybody else out there doing the equivalent job, save maybe the military. It's about the only place anymore where a government employee is not better off than a civilian employee. The civilian employee doing like private security work or contractor work uh, is definitely better off than a sergeant in the army. There's no doubt about that. But in every other place, 
especially at the federal level, man, you got it made once you're in. I got furloughed for three weeks during the shutdown. Oh, shut up. You also got all your back pay for not working. And you, some of you were sent to work to keep people out of national parks when they were shut down. That made sense. It's nonsense. It's nonsense that the government could ever fix the problems. And I'll tell you what, you wouldn't want them to if they could. And I'll tell you what, I, I know you're like, what? If you could have a government that was legitimately and totally honest about what they did and didn't covert with, with, with Monsanto and Conagra and Bayer and Pfizer and Merck and Chase, it would be better, but you still don't want them to be your solution. You still don't want them to be your solution because you'll never get the solution you want. You'll get the solution that the largest majority of people agreed to, and it's never going to be what you want. The government should exist solely for the purpose of protecting individual rights, both from other individuals and from majorities. That's, that is the sole purpose of government, should be the protection of rights, and nothing more. So, yes, I'm okay from a minarchist point of view. If you steal from somebody, that there is a public sector component of government that says, you stole, we're going to go and we're going to make sure that you actually did steal, and we're going to hand down a consequence to that. That's fine. But if you didn't steal anything, we don't need government. Until my fist impacts your nose, there's been no crime. It's a metaphor. There's other ways I can harm you other than that. But that's it. Now, there's people that say, we need roads and schools. And, and here's what I think. I do not believe we need government for roads and schools. I certainly wouldn't believe that government is more likely, you're, better, you're more likely to make a case for me with roads and schools. The thing about roads that makes them different is if I build a road that goes from one city to another, it's almost inconceivable that I actually own all of the property in between there. And it's almost inconceivable that I should. So when you look at roads and infrastructures, and you look at just a resources component to them, having three roads to go to the same place that are 10 feet apart from each other and all run by different people doesn't make a lot of logistical or resource sense. Roads, to me, are about travel and movement of a people. And I can understand the desire to make all roads usable by all individuals on one form or another, in one shape or another. And I think that our solution to that is that most people that use roads use a car. And if you tax gas, which is a consumption tax, not a production tax, which I still don't like, but it's so much better than a production tax, that we could have roads. And because I'm willing to accept the fact that the system isn't going to change overnight anyway, I'll just give anybody that says the government has to build roads, I'll just give it to you. Fine, build roads. It build roads, build build bridges, build overpasses, build tunnels. Take the money that you're stealing from the American people and put it into our infrastructure and make it the best world class infrastructure in the world. Stop doing all this other bullshit you don't need to be doing. But that ain't gonna happen. That isn't gonna happen. What you have to understand but but fine, right? That's, but I would be, I would take that deal. Schools, there's no need for government to run schools. None at all. If the government didn't run schools, there would be a plethora of schools to choose from. And yes, even the most poor among us would be able to go to schools. There would be scholarships, there would be charities, 
be opportunities, and there'd be a hell of a lot less poor people if the government wasn't running our schools. So there'd be a so, a so much fewer number of children that need the government to finance their education. And even if that was the case, then fine. Then why are we subsidizing everybody's education if it's just so every poor child can go to school? But my point with schools is, it makes perfect sense to me there might be two schools a hundred yards apart. And I might want to send my kid to one of them, and you might want to send yours to the other one. And those schools can scale up and down unlike a road. The only real case you can make to me for something the government needs to be doing is the preservation and protection of individual rights and the enabling of commerce throughout a nation. And then from that point, the only other thing a federal government should do is look out over the, look out over the borders and deal with other nations. That's it. That's pretty much how our Constitution was written. But it ain't going to happen. But it doesn't matter. If you don't agree with any of that, if you think that the government should fix, if you believe that a government can fix a problem, if you believe that we could have a magic wand and make a government of all Justin Amish's and Ron Paul, or if you're a, you're a socialist, all Nancy Pelosi's and Harry Reid, whatever you believe, fine. Let me tell you why it's still not going to happen. You need to learn the lesson of your destitute, drunken, dope-addicted uncle named Sam. This is your nation today. This is your government today. If you had a guy in your family, he was an uncle of yours, a real uncle named Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam comes to your house. Uncle Sam is penniless. He has no money. He only takes it from other members of the family. That's the only way he gets any money. He's never done a damn thing. In fact, he's done some good things in his life, but his good days are behind him. He used to be successful, but he's, he's just burned out. He got out dope, and he got an alcohol, and he, he's out doping and drinking every night to the point where he's totally penniless, and now he's subsisting off of other people. But when he gets money from your Uncle Steve, he gives it to your cousin Phil and says he's, he's doing something valuable. Right? So he keeps a little bit for his dope habit, but he gives a little bit to your cousin Steve. And when you need, he, he mediates within the family. That's the one function he pre performs. He redistributes the family's wealth. It takes a piece every time he does it. That's how he's surviving. He's sleeping on your couch. He kicks your dog. He eats all your food. He doesn't clean up after himself. And eventually his reckless behavior sets your house on fire. You go to an insurance company, and they're willing to pay for a new house. Would you put your Uncle Sam in charge of rebuilding your house? When you ask the government you currently have to fix the problems, that's what you're doing. You're asking a destructive, destitute, drunken, dope-addicted uncle who caused the problem to fix it. And you're actually expecting that it will work, it'll be okay, it'll work out. No, it won't. No, it won't. Uncle Sam needs to go to rehab. And he needs to work his own way through there. And until he does, he's not to be trusted. Sounds like government. At least the one we have right now. Even if you don't agree with my quote-unquote extreme anarchist view, right? And for some of you, I'm not extreme enough. The fact that a state could exist is horrible. Hey, look, we'll go to anarchism after we get to libertarianism. How about that? How about we get in the car and... Heart, but just let that go. Again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You would never put that guy in charge of fixing the problem. Now, you might have a sense of justice. Well, he did it, so he should fix it. You, you might feel that way, but you still wouldn't trust him to do so. The truth is, you are your only answer. You are your only answer. There's nothing that's going to fix any of the misery 
the unhappiness, the problems, the inequity, the lack of having things that you want, the, the, the poverty you're experiencing, whether it's monetary or spiritual or community poverty, or it's just emotional poverty, whatever you're missing in your life, you're the only one that's going to fix it. Whatever makes you angry, you're the only one that's going to fix it. And all of this crap about we're going to just do it on our own with, with, from a standpoint of just let's just make government smaller, let's make it go away, let's get rid of these programs, let's cut people off. You know what we're doing? We're being very stupid with that attitude. If somebody came to me and said, Jack, you can push a button that will lead to a long series of government retractions shutting down over time and becoming very, 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 very small. Maybe not even as small as you want it, sir. But it's much, much smaller than it is today. It'll take 20 years, but it's a guarantee that if all you do is push this button, this government will start unwinding. And at that point, the people of this nation will either have to realize the gift that they've been given and be good stewards of it, or if they're going to screw it up again, it's up to them. They're going to have to take the opportunity or squander it yet again. Would you push that button? Beep! Immediately. But if you said, Jack, you could push a button, and 80% of the government will be eliminated tomorrow morning. I would never push that button. Because if we did it by tomorrow morning, you would see death and destruction and mayhem and misery like you've never experienced before in your life. We have to decouple. And we have to fight for every step of decoupling along the way. But those that just say, well, let's just do it, even the concept of let's just start taking these programs apart, disassembling them, throw them away. This country's not ready for it. We're weak. We're fat. We're lazy. We're out of shape. We are drug addicted ourselves, both illegal and legal drugs. We're eating a terrible diet. We, we need to learn from boxers and mixed martial arts fighters. There's, there's, there's something here. Don't, don't think I'm going off the deep end of the reservation. An MMA fighter or a boxer trains all the time. If they're, you know, a professional or even, even a decent amateur, they train daily. They're always conditioning. They're always working out. They, they pay attention to what they eat. They pay attention to how they think. They're ready to fight every day. But when they're going to fight someone that's as tough or tougher than they are in a match, they go through a, a, a training camp. And it's when I've looked up anywhere from some, some people two weeks that are really already in great shape to as long as six months in between fights. They study their opponent. They increase their conditioning. They watch their weight. They adjust their diet. They see how they respond. They push to lift more. They push to run faster. They push for more strength, more explosions. And then and only then they climb into the ring and they face their opponent. Many people in our nation today are wanting to climb in the ring with the government. Just from a standpoint of disassembling the monstrosity that needs to be disassembled. And you haven't even jumped rope once. You're completely out of shape. And I don't just mean physically. I mean from a standpoint of your responsibility for yourself and your own needs. There are people calling for this that don't realize they're as dependent on government as the person on food stamps. They just don't understand how they're dependent on government. Well, I have my own business. Well, what do you do? Well, I do this. And it turns out that they're a supplier to a supplier to a government contracting agency. They never even begin to think, well, what would happen if this contract Lockheed has was rescinded? 
I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. I'm just saying the guy calling for it hasn't thought about it. Well, then the supplier that I'm supplying, that's their main customer, and I wouldn't have any. I'd have to go out and find business while everybody else that was already in this business is now short on business, and they don't even realize it. There's no diversity. There's no redundancy. There's no resiliency. And the same person that's doing that, that's working hard, that's done a good job, has no savings. Even though they're self-employed, they're still, quote-unquote, living paycheck to paycheck. We have so much of that. There's no training that's been done. We haven't, we haven't learned how to think, to act, to be, to do. We've forgotten these things. And this is the important thing to understand. You can be saying, well, I'm already off grid, Jack. I'm beyond you. I'm producing 70% of my own food or more, and I could be okay without the 30% that I take as a luxury for a long damn time. I don't need that much money, and I have a lot of it saved up. I've got gold and silver. I've got guns and ammo. I've got beans and bandits. I've got it all. I don't need it. The problem is that unlike the MMA fighter or the boxer that can train individually, the nation is not one individual. It's 300 million-plus individuals. And if you think that anywhere from sea to shining sea, You're truly going to be safe, stable, secure, and happy. While the majority of Americans are not, you are only fooling yourself. So when I say that we are out of shape, that we haven't trained, that we're not ready for the fight, I am then not talking about this community or even the larger prepper, libertarian, anarchist community or even the larger still community of at least constitutional conservative values. Especially the people with the conservative values that understand that's their value. They don't get the right to impose them on others. I'm talking about all of us. The vast majority of us. All the people that you just want to write off that you think aren't necessary. You have no idea how important it is that they get into shape too. But they're not going to do it just yet. So that leaves you and you alone to start training, to get ready for the fight, to be an example. You know, it is kind of like you're, you're, you're working on your arm curls and you're building up your biceps and your chest muscles and you got little bitty bird legs. You ever see like a guy that works out in the gym like that? He's so in, just in front of the mirror and I'm going to be tough. I'm walking around. And if the guy wears shorts, you look at him and go, <laughs> You look top heavy like a friggin' weeble, dude. I can just shove you over, like, what do you call it up? When I'm punching back things or whatever. Like an upside down bowling pin. You know? <laughs> you just think and you'll go over. It, it is kind of like that to a degree. Because no matter how well you train for this battle, you know, another person that's part of the body that is the nation is eating ho-hos and ding-dongs and lace potato chips and living on food stamps and all the things that make us unhealthy and taking Prozac or whatever it is and watching garbage on TV, feeding themselves the most toxic chemicals, the most toxic food, and the most toxic information possible because that's what the system's putting out. Again, think about this. The system you're asking to fix the problems is giving you the most toxic information the most divisive information you can get, the most toxic food, the most abundantly overused pharmaceutical toxins of all times, 
And they're giving you all of this and saying this is good for you, and you're turning to them and going, please fix it. Good luck. So it is just you. But this is what people that know what I teach about community would say when they hear that. But what about community, Jack? We can't be in it all alone. And we can't. But it starts with you. Because here's the difference between a community that's by choice, a voluntary community, and a government-imposed community. Government-imposed community says, we are all Americans and we will divide our community up on income bracket. And if you are below a certain income, you are entitled to certain things. And if you are above a certain income, you are responsible to provide for certain things. There's nothing voluntary about that at all. And because of that, you can be happy and okay as a hard-working individual or often happy and okay as a slug And either way, the community will function the way the overlord dictates, and only so much of individual action will ever matter. Understand, the system's set up to mitigate individual action. Yeah, if you work harder, you get further. I have no doubt about that. But do you get as far as you could? And if you don't work at all, you continue to exist at the, at the expense of others in your community that you've been forced into. That you and they have both been forced into. In a real community, a true community, a voluntary community, community of neighbors and friends and people that choose to associate, if you're a slug that's not training for the fight and everybody's fixing to climb into the ring, they don't hold the ropes for you when you get in. They don't help you in. In fact, they just assume you not come along because you're going to get in the way. So the only way community works is to start with you being your own answer first. People in a community, a voluntary community, help most those who try most, those who contribute most, those who do most. And when it comes down to a standpoint of really picking someone up and carrying them, they'll do it when they know that person really needs it, not when they just don't feel like walking. You see it all the time with parents. They're smart enough to do it with their kids. Little kid who could walk goes, I'm tired. I don't want to walk anymore. I'm tired. Carry me. And the smart parent goes, you're just fine. But yet when that kid really is completely worn out because the long legs travel further faster than the small legs, then that parent picks up that child and carries them. But the wise parent pushes that kiddo to go a little further every day because one day they might have to pick somebody up and carry them. This is how community works. If it doesn't start with you, there is no community around you. So what do you do? It's about taking responsibility and not the nonsensical way our government says to take responsibility. Take responsibility to the government means the following. Shut the hell up. Do what we say and do whatever it is that you do as good as you possibly can. And that means if you are a hardworking American, yes, we want you to continue to do your job hard. But if you are a leech on the system, continue to be an effective leech. That is the government's version of taking responsibility. Do what we say. When they say parents take responsibility for your children's education, they don't mean it. That would mean, hey... Sit down, son. We're going to go over some things and learn some stuff. No, that means that when your kid comes home with bullshit from school that tells them something, reinforce the bullshit and make sure they do what they're told by the school. That's not being responsible for your children's education. It's being responsible for their grade point average. 
Let me say that again. Doing exactly what the school says and only what the school says and making your kids do their homework, etc. is not being responsible for their education. It's being responsible for their grade point average. Sorry, my blood boils about that one. It really does. It's about taking responsibility, first for yourself, and then for your children and your family and your community. But first for yourself. You cannot take responsibility for anybody else, no matter how much you love and care about them, no matter how much you want good things for them. You cannot take responsibility for them if you're not yet responsible for yourself. It's not selfish, it's selfless. Anyway, first thing, take responsibility for your food. Stop the bullshit about I can't afford to eat healthy. You can afford to eat healthier. Wherever you are in the spectrum, if you're not making a conscious effort for your own health in your own food supply, you could be doing better. You may not be doing the best. You may not be all permaculture, locavore, organic, perfect food. I understand that, but you could be doing more. 99% of Americans could be easily, without spending any more money, eating healthier. Er, with an E-R, er, got it? Eat healthier. Take responsibility. Grow something of your own. I'm in an apartment. Grow herbs in a pot on your freaking patio. Find a place you can grow something. Grow some of your own food. And have a goal to get somewhere where you can do at least some of it at a little bit more of a level. But take responsibility for your food. Including storing food. Including storing food. Listen, we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to stand or kneel. I've said that before. We are going to, as a people, with our government, we will have to either stand in the face of their tyranny and say, you will not go any further. You have gone as far as we as a people are willing to allow you to go. There shall be no more. Or we will have to kneel and accept yet more infringement. And we will get to a critical point where once we go over it, we are into total, complete tyranny. No longer a velvet glove soft tyranny, but a hard, metal-fisted, right-in-the-ass tyranny. That's where we're headed. And we will get to that point, and we will have to stand. And if you cannot feed yourself when that day comes, you will kneel, no matter how much it sickens you. And if it is your children that will starve, you will kneel faster. So we must as a people, take responsibility for our own food. But until others do, you must do for yourself. You must take responsibility for your health. Food is a part of that, yes. But get off your ass. If you work a job where you sit in a chair for eight hours a day, at least once every 30 minutes, just stand the hell up. Park your car in the back of the parking lot instead of the front of the parking lot. You know what? The one thing that sucks in the summer is ha having a hot car. Most of the trees and little shade spots you can find in a parking lot are as far away as possible. At least the ones that are available. Park there so you can take a long walk in the afternoon but not have your car blazing hot. Stack functions. When lunchtime comes, don't go sit in the cafeteria. Go somewhere. Take a walk. You don't need an hour. You don't even need a half hour. To go do something. Some people say, well, I work physically hard at work. Take a walk anyway. 
It'll be better for you than sitting around. If you, if you work with people who are fully indoctrinated to the system and you spend your lunch hour with them, you are spending five hours a week furthering your own indoctrination. Go somewhere. Do something. Do something meaningful. Drive to a nearby mall and walk around the mall. Sure, it's full of consumerism, but just get your mind out of where you're at for that period of time. Do something physical. That's part of your help. Take a walk three or four times a week. Go to a park. I don't care where you go. Walk. It's one of the best things you can do for your health. Never take a medication that your doctor recommends for you without first asking the question, and when am I going to get off of this medication? When will I stop taking this medication? And when they say never, really think about it before you start taking it. Always try diets and lifestyle adjustments. The next time you have tension headaches, save some money so you have the money so you can't whine and tell me you can't do it. And when you're dealing with migraines, instead of taking drugs, go get a massage twice a week for a few weeks. It's a lot better therapy. But the government should pay for that. No, they shouldn't. You should. You should. It's your headache. It's your lifestyle generating that headache. Try a different solution. Fund it yourself. Take responsibility for your own health. Exercise and eat well, whatever that means for you. I've, I've gone on enough in the, in my career about why I think paleo is the way to be. But I'll tell you what, just about anything that pays attention to what you're putting in your mouth and avoids processed foods is a thousand times better than a typical American diet. Take responsibility for your education. Before even your children's, take responsibility for your education. How can you teach what you don't know? Stop being told what you need to know. Stop being told what you need to learn. Ask your own questions and find your own answers. This is magical invention. It's new. It's only been around for a little while. It's called freaking the Internet. And there is information available on demand for any question that you have. Not necessarily every time you look for it, you'll find all the answers, but you'll get some understanding of your questions. Instead, what we do is we sit around and we're told what our questions are. That's how you program somebody, folks. What do most Americans do throughout their day as far as how they're educated? And understand, education is not just school. It's all information that's put into your, your mind, processed, retained, and used to deduce further information. Can we redefine education that way right now? All information taken into your mind, processed, and used to deduce additional information and to understand and interpret additional information. That's what education really is. So you might learn how to carve, and then when you carve a different type of wood, you feel that it's different, so you use what you already know to interpret this new way this wood particularly carves, and you adapt to carving a harder or softer piece of wood. Right? That's education. So education is all the information that goes into your brain and is processed to make decisions and deduce other information. Somebody quote that for me, please. Put that somewhere. I certainly didn't plan that when I started today, but I think that's pretty good. Because then it changes, and you understand, the TV commercials are educational. What? That can't be true. Yes, it is. It's information that goes into your mind. It's processed and used to deduce further information. Now, whether or not that education is positive or negative is up to you. It could be these people are freaking jerks. 
These people are idiots. These people think I'm stupid. I'm not doing business with them. Then it's a positive educational experience. We're going to uh, I want to have a phone like Paris, Paris Hilton has, or I want to have a butt like Khloe Kardashian or whatever. And then it's a negative educational experience, but still educational. It's what you're learning that makes, it, it's that you're learning that makes something educational. And you can learn to be stupid. You can learn to be ignorant. You can learn to be compliant. You can learn to be complacent. And by golly, the system depends on you doing that. So now if we redefine that, we can examine the typical American's day and their education. The typical, Amer typical American gets out of bed, yawns, and hits the alarm clock and is pissed that they have to get up. They've already begun the negative programming that, hey, I don't really want to do what I have to do, but I got to do it because somebody said so. I got to keep a roof over the head and food on the table, and there's no other way, and this is the best I can do, so I'm going to go off to this job that I hate. They shit, shower, and shave, or whatever it is they do, but somewhere along the line, they either turn the radio or the TV on to, dun, 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 the news, where the news begins. It might be sports news. It might be regular news. No matter what you're listening to, though, I just about guarantee you that regular news is put in there. So while they're getting ready to go do something they don't want to do, they are having their education about the way the world is taught to them by people who make a living keeping them where they are. Those pieces of news tell you this is what question you have, and here is the answer to that question from one or another point of view, left or right. They either hear the left point of view and they migrate to the right or vice versa, or they hear the point of view they have and they reinforces it. But either way, the liberal listening to the conservative Fox News, which I think is far from conservative, but for many liberals it seems that way, actually has their liberalism reinforced. Right? The conservative that's listening to MSNBC, for whatever reason, is having their conservative... In fact, that's why they're listening to it. The people that listen to stuff they disagree with do so solely for the purpose of reinforcing that the other side is wrong. So that's their education. Then they get in their car, as I call it, their mobile metal coffin. They fire it up and they convince themselves, this is the best car that I can afford. And either it means I'm shit or it means I'm the shit. It's either it's a jalopy and that means my life sucks and one day maybe it won't suck. But the guy next to me that has the car I want, he's a jerk. So that's part of their education. Or they're like, I have a Mercedes because it's the funnest automobile available. And this means that I am superior and better, even though I am also going to a place that sucks that I hate. So that's part of their educational experience. And they get in their car, and unless they're listening to some crazy maniac like me, they turn on dun 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 AM or FM radio, which is either music and they're jamming as they're going down the road trying to escape the reality, which has some therapeutic value in it, as long as the music's not reinforcing the same bullshit, which much of it does today. But even on those stations, at the top of the hour, we'd like to tell you the traffic. Your life sucks. You're on the road and your life sucks because you're going to be stuck at this interchange. You might be late for work and your boss will punch you in the face when you get there. Or the traffic sucks. You're on your way home to see your kids. You won't be seeing them when you promise them because your life sucks. Because there's So there's that. And then there's, in the news today... You know, Barack Obama said this, and so-and-so said that, and so-and-so did. Or they tune in to talk radio, where they have their paradigm reinforced as either right or wrong based on what they choose. The liberal chooses to listen to Rush Limbaugh so they can be convinced that Limbaugh and all people like him are idiots, or the conservative chooses to Rush Limbaugh to be convinced that they're right and to stay the course. And that programming goes in with them 
both directions in the mobile metal coffin all day long. At work, they find a social group that they can most tolerate and listen to them regurgitate the same crap. Whether it's about how important it is that a certain sports team win on a certain day, or how important it is a certain ass clown win a certain election. That's part of their educational paradigm and process. After they go through the car experience on the way home, they have their children come to them and show them the things that they're learning in school and try to help them learn many things that they know those children will never use. They are forced to lie to their children and say, yes, Johnny, you need to know this calculus. It will be important someday, even though they know that they're lying. They will discuss how their life isn't quite what they were looking for with their spouses They will watch TV, probably the news again. If nothing else, they'll have news segments in there. All the while, they'll be on their Facebook and their BlackBerry or Facebook and their Twitter accounts, mostly sharing the same or similar information. Again, all of these tools can be used for good. They're just generally not. And the education will be reinforced that this is the way things are. This is the way they're supposed to be. This is the best we can do. The other side's wrong. It's the other side's fault. If they just saw it our way, Way, things would be better. One day they can be better, but for now you got to just keep fighting. Yay! That's your education. I mean, I didn't even go into the schools because the schools are a complete disaster in of themselves. Schools teach conformity. Schools are not designed to educate. Education is about teaching people to learn. Schools are designed to breed conformity. Everybody sit in the desk in a nice straight line. Put your head down and take a nap when you're told. Be on time or you're in trouble. Learn at the same speed as the person next to you, even if the person next to you is a freaking moron. It's fair. It's fair. It's fair that Johnny is a dumbass and that Timmy is smart and Timmy has to slow down his learning unless Timmy goes into a special place for the accelerated gifted child where he will work harder and get the same. Sounds like work to me. When I say work, I don't mean work like noble work. I mean like employment. Be conditioned to believe that those who actually do work by the sweat of the brow are the failures of society and that you need to go to a magical place called college. And when you graduate from college and the unicorn comes out and farts this wonderful thing called a degree into your magical hands, you will go out and the world will embrace you. And you will have a great job making lots of money. Well, you will end up just like the parent that just had the experience I previously described in your mobile metal coffin going to a job that you hate to have. Your paradigms reinforced by those who either you vehemently disagree with or those who you absolutely agree with. That is the education of America. And that is the education that is not in our school system. That is the ongoing, continuous education of society that is put in place specifically to program society into compliance. And the only way to break the cycle is not to turn it all off and look away the other direction. It's to simply start asking, what do I really want to know? What do I really want to know? What do I want to know how to do? What do I want to know how to be? Why am I told this, but yet I don't believe it? Instead of just listening to the direct opposition to it, research it, investigate it, determine for yourself. What would I do if I was in charge? And gee, I'm not, but I am in charge of me, so I'll do it for myself. When I say take responsibility for your own education, that's how deep I'm going. Don't believe anything anybody says, including me. 
When I say something and you don't agree with me, fine. You can, you can waste your energy trying to convince me that I am wrong when I have found a way to live my life that makes me freaking fantastic out of my head, slap myself silly happy, and think that's going to work. Or you can say, since I don't agree with Jack about this, this is what it means to me. If you're going to spend your days trying to convince me that I'm wrong about the things that have made my life wonderful, you are wasting my time and yours. And that's why I'm not going to pay attention. Because I don't control you, but I control me. But if you're going to spend your time figuring out, I agree, I agree, I disagree, I disagree, I agree, I disagree. Why I mean all that for myself. And this is how I'll live my life, because this is how I feel that you might just become shit over your brains happy too. You might be angry at what other people are doing in your nation or to your other people in your community at times, but you might actually be able to get in the freaking ring and do something about it. You might be able to come out swinging instead of being out of shape or feeling completely disempowered. And you'll also know at times, that's not my fight. I only have so much energy. I can only take on so many people. The best fighter in the world, MMA, boxing, martial arts, whatever, Can't take on everybody at the same time, can he? You take the world champion in any any combat art and say, this is what we want you to do. We want you to fight the top ten contenders for the title. And he goes, that sounds cool. That sounds like a really great promotion. Okay, so I'll be training for like, what, uh, eight, ten weeks in between each bout, and we'll start out with like the number ten contender and work our way up, and this will be over like several years. We'll make a shitload of money. I could lose, but hey. What a challenge you take. And they go, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in a ring. And the ten contenders are going to all fight you. And if they win, they all become the champion and you lose. If you try to fight too many battles, even noble fights, that's what you're doing. You can't win that way. You have to pick your battles and pick your fights. And if you are picking battles, and you are picking fights, and you are doing well in them for yourself and for others, you'll realize that it's okay to say, I can't do it all. Most people instead feel like they should do it all and end up doing nothing. And they walk around with tremendous guilt. The guilt turns to anger, and the anger turns to blame. Fight your battle first for yourself. Your own sanity, your own health, your own education. And then fight for your family. And then fight for the members of your immediate neighborhood that want to be fought for. And ignore those that are not ready yet. And fight for the community that forms around you. Because one will. That's not necessarily based on just geographic proximity. And if you've done all of that, and you still have left something to give, then pick another battle. But fight those battles first. It will do more. It will do more than making 10,000 phone calls in the next election cycle to get your ass clown elected. It will do a lot more. I think we need to take responsibility for our own waste. And not in the hippie, yippie, we're destroying the earth way, but we are. But... If you're going to say we don't need government to fix our problems, what about all that shit you throw away every week? 
figuratively and literally. You know, as I'm looking at building the permanent ethos community, I'm thinking about how do we do things differently? And I think, you know, okay, we got 100, 120 households. It's a lot of waste. How do we deal with, you know, garbage disposal? How much government does that bring in when you're saying, well, like, each person needs, or you put in a big commercial dumpster and everybody has to bring their, all of a sudden you're bringing in, like you're advertising, here we are. So how do we set, not compulsory policy, but policy that's so logical that the community follows it and we minimize our waste there? You know, and people say, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. And this person over here, what about you? What about you? You know, minimizing your waste will pay off in a shit hit the fan. Because one, you'll get efficient at using what you have. And two, you won't be like, well, the snow came and I've got 400 tons of garbage in my front yard stinking and rotten, attracting animals. Take responsibility for our own waste. Take responsibility for our own energy. You know, I covered yesterday how Arizona power companies want people that are selling them solar power from their solar arrays that are grid-tied to, you know, be responsible for maintaining the grid. Ugh. If you're that good at generating solar power, why are you tied to the grid? If you're actually selling the grid power, not occasionally... Not, well, I sell them power here and I buy power there and I sell them here and I buy there and in the end, my bill's low, right? Then you're tied to the grid. You're subject to what the grid dictates. If you're actually net positive back there, why are you connected at all? Well, I get some money. What, 10 bucks? 15 bucks? What's your freedom worth? If you're that good at generating solar in the way you're living, you shouldn't be grid tied. You should be standalone. Seriously. And the truth is, most people bitching about it aren't. But at least they're doing something. The best way to take responsibility for your own energy is to begin first by conserving what you use. Not to save a polar bear, because it makes sense for you. So cut all the waste, and then focus on production. But at least think about it. But you know what? Above all, if I had to sum it all up, I would say this. Do shit. Do shit and never apologize for doing good shit. Do what's right. Do it. Do it. Do it. Figure it out. Try it. Fail. Pick your ass up. Do it again. Get it right. Do it. Do it. Do it. Plant a tree. It dies. Plant another one. You think I want chickens? Get chickens. Start growing your own eggs. Give them to your neighbors. Somebody comes after you, fight the fight. Win or lose. Fight. Get in shape before the fight. Know every way you're going to jab, stick, and move against your opponent. That's somebody in cover with MMA fighters. right? That's why I say it's not real. It is, but it's not real like real street combat. you got two guys going against you, so not only are they trained. Me and my trainer are going to sit down and look at my opponent. And go, when he's confronted this way, he responds that way. Here's his weaknesses. He seems like he has a little bit of a vision problem. And the peripheral was left by. How can I capitalize on that? He tends to get off. And his guy's doing the same thing. You're going to fight. Know your opponent. Know what your opponent's going to do before they do it. And be prepared to counter before you have to. Have the counter play in place. 
That's part of doing good shit and not apologizing for it. I hate the phrase, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Because you ask for forgiveness when you've done something wrong. And most of the time when that phrase is used, what the person's doing isn't wrong. It's just in opposition to the status quo. Don't apologize for doing that which is good. Be defiant. Be smart. Don't be stupid. Don't end up in prison. Don't end up losing your home. Don't end up bankrupt. Be, figure out how to strategically fight. Pick those battles. And sometimes that means this is not the location to fight. Generals that win battles choose the location of the battle. The time and the location and how the battle will begin are the key indicators to how the battle will end. If you're sitting in the middle of an HOA surrounded by blue hair old ladies and when you moved there you thought that was good and you had a paradigm shifting moment to realize the people around you are freaking nuts, move. Well, it's hard to sell my house. It's hard to do a lot of shit. You know, it's hard to do a lot of things. And seldom is anything worth doing easy. At least at first. I, if I had a dollar for everything, well, that's hard. Well, that's hard. Good. That means not everybody can do it, so you won't have a lot of people bumping into your ass while you're getting it done. You want easy? I'll give you easy. Quit. Stop working. Get on every assistance program you can find. Lay around on your ass and don't do anything. That's easy. That's easy. And there'll be a lot of people getting in your way on the way to getting it done. The thing about things that are hard is the harder they are, the more they rely on just you, the less they rely on somebody else, and the more direct impact you have over getting them done. Because every time a degree of difficulty increases, less people take the challenge. Put it to you this way. In Montana, when I was in Helena, there was a place called Mount Helena, named for the city. Pretty nice mountain. Pretty good steep hike to the top of the mountain. I got a bottle of water, drove up to this little city park, was there for an extra day, and said, I'll go to the top. I hiked to the top, I hiked to the bottom, sucked a little wind, dealt with a little bit of thin air, but I did it. It wasn't a big deal. I saw lots of other people doing it halfway, three-quarters of the way, and all the way, and some people just walking around the bottom. But there were a lot of people going up and down this mountain on like a Tuesday in the middle of the week. I'm sure over a year, my accomplishment is meaningless because millions of people, not millions, probably tens of thousands of people a year, probably hike to the top of Mount Helena and back down. Nice clear pass, clearly marked, easy. How many people have hiked to the top of Everest? How many people have even hiked halfway up? How many people have even been to base camp? Why? It's harder. And because it's harder, there's less people to get in your way. Yeah, the mountain's tougher. The path is tougher, but the crowd is thinner. So it's all on you. It's all on you. And most things that are hard, that's how they work out. And the big thing I want you to understand, in all the years I've been doing this show, I've been trying to say this over and over again, and it, it bears repeating now, especially as we're getting toward the end of another year. And New Year's resolutions and all that other stuff's going to start. Act because you want to, not due to fear. Build a better life because it's what you want. 
Not because you're afraid that your way of life is in jeopardy. It is. If you're coasting along the way most Americans are, if you're out of shape the way most of Americans are, and I don't mean just physically, I mean emotionally, spiritually, financially, if you're at, your life is extremely in jeopardy of it just staying the way it is and being okay. And, and 20 years from now, having the same stuff you have or more, it's totally in jeopardy. That's still not why you should act. There'll be a shitload of unhealthy, unhappy people with you in that boat, coasting along, making do somehow 20 years from now. If you stay there, don't act in fear. Act because you want something more. Fear is a short-term motivator. If I make you afraid enough, you might run faster than you ever had before and get away from a predator. But if that pursuit lasts too long, you will either reach a point of fatigue or adrenaline will push you to a point where you can't function anymore. That high can only last so long out of fear. And once the fear subsides, the action will cease. So you'll run away from the predator, but once you get up on top of something where you know the predator can't get you, you'll, you'll stop. Hopefully then you'll think, well, how do I get down? But if you don't have to get down, you just, you're out of a pit, let's say, you go back to life in general. And you have to. Because if you stay motivated by fear, it's stress and it will kill you. The biggest killer in the world is not guns or even cars. It's stress. And you can stress any being, any entity, any life form. You can stress it to death. So you can't act in fear. Because it's only short-term motivation. If it's what wakes you up and gets you moving, fine. But at some point you have to just start saying, well, what is it that I want? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? What's my fault? I mean... Uh, the average American, adult American, 25 to 35 years of age, that sits and looks at their life, and you're not just over your head happy with what you have. If you make a list of things that is not my fault, and it doesn't at least fill up an entire page of paper, you're not being honest with yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you're an evil, vile, terrible person that's stupid and moronic. It just means that there's many things in your life that if you could go back and make a better decision, you'd be further along to where you want to be. And all those things, dun, 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 are your fault. Yes, let's play It's My Fault today. Instead, we have an America that says it's never my fault. It's not my fault. Someone else did it to me. If somebody else did this is bullshit thinking. It's my fault. I got evicted from my home because I didn't pay my mortgage, and it's my fault. No, the bank lied, and I had an adjustable mortgage, and then the financial collapse hit, and I didn't have enough money left in my savings to pay it off, and I lost my job, and if I would have lost my job, I still would have been able to get by, and I paid my bills, and it's not my fault. There was nothing else I could have done. There probably is. What? I'm not going to tell you. If that's you, you figure out what you could have done differently to be in a better position than you are. And that, at least, that piece is your fault. Does that mean that there's nothing anybody else did to make you miserable? Hell, the world is full of people figuring out what to do tomorrow to make you miserable. That will always be the case, but you don't control them. You control yourself and how you respond to them. You know, if you can't think of a lot of things in your life that are your fault, you are lying to yourself. And you're never going to make your life better. 
And you're never going to be a modern survivalist. And you're never going to thrive in a collapse. The strongest people I know have no problem admitting their mistakes, saying what was their fault, and committing to doing better. The strongest, most successful people I know have a life littered with failures. And will make mistakes and have failures in the future. They'll have things that fall flat on their ass and they'll be like, okay, that was my fault. Let's see what we can do next. They'll never say it's okay. But they'll accept it and move on. There's a difference. There's what I call the lemonade crowd. The lemonade crowd says, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. First, it predisposes there's something wrong with lemons. <laughs> well, let's take the metaphor for what it is. Basically, that, that saying could be changed to when life hands you shit, make a shit sandwich. Put it between some bread and make it taste a little better. I say when life hands you shit, sling it back at life and go kick ass and do something about it. One of my favorite people from the world of sports is Michael Jordan. And his famous quote, he says he has failed over and over and over again, and that is why he succeeds. But you notice one thing he calls it? He calls failure, failure. He doesn't call it mistakes. He calls it failure. He calls it what it is, a failure. I failed. That means it's not okay, but it's going to be okay. It's do good shit and never apologize for it. Act because you want to, not due to fear. If you think I'm ranting today, sorry. Sometimes we need to stop and we need to really think about this. If you feel like I'm yelling at you today, well, I'm not, but I might be. If, if I said some things today that really pissed you off, again, first of all, don't believe me. Investigate for yourself and decide based on what you find out, what you really believe for yourself. But I'll tell you what pisses a person off. If a person... Let's say they're an athlete, and they're doing something, a pitcher is making a mistake in their pitching that's making them vulnerable, and because of that, they're getting a lot more hits than they should be and a lot less strikes than they should. And a coach tells them they're doing it wrong and, what the, and says, this is what you're doing. This is where your mistake lies. If they're not open to the coaching, it makes them very upset if they know the coach is right but don't want to accept it. That makes them very upset. So if, if anything I said to you really stuck you today, maybe it's that foot is not in the right position when you're letting go of the ball. Or maybe it is, and you just haven't figured out how to leverage it. So you need to make the adjustment for yourself, even if what I said that pissed you off isn't necessarily what you need to change, but you need to make other adjustments around it to make that pivot point work for you. Whatever it is, if, if I really irked you today... There's some work to be done there. And you can't take it personally because I don't know you. And when I did today's show, I wasn't thinking of any single individual. So if you've ever had an email exchange for me with me or a comment exchange with me and you think that this show's about you, lose your, lose your uh, ego, man, because I don't have anybody in mind today, especially when I'm being hard on people other than myself. Everything I said today applies to me. 
everything I said today applies to me. Even all the things I'm doing well today, I could do better. And it's my job to, to keep trying to do better. And at least know that it can be done and accept that. It, everything that I said about having your, 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 your attitude reinforced by people who agree or disagree with you and actually seeking out those things so that you can just reinforce it rather than actually dig deep applies to me because I'm a human being. There's no cure for these problems. There's only treatment. There's only treatment to live the best, most fulfilling life you can and be as resilient as you can and be as dynamic as you can and be as engaging as you can and live for as much liberty as you can. That's all there is. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Let me show you a better way.